Welcome back to another episode of Green About Media, where we'll be talking again to Ara Almada about climate change and how we got here, measuring carbon emissions and the carbon challenge. Two of the greatest sustainability-related challenges that humanity faces are the dramatic decline in the productivity of natural ecosystems and the loss of biodiversity. The changing of the climate impacts temperature and weather patterns continuing the current trend towards extreme weather events. The rising temperatures and the loss of biodiversity is disrupting the delicate balance of nature that we actually kind of rely on for our own survival. But how did we get here? How did we get here? Really good question. These challenges have come about as a direct result of human activity, predominantly in the form of excess carbon emissions and the mismanagement of natural resources and systems. Now, aside from the direct impact of human activities, there has always been a fluctuation in the Earth's climate. In the last 800,000 years, there have been eight distinct cycles of ice ages and warmer periods, with the end of the last ice age being just about 12,000 years ago. And it's within this current cycle that the beginning of the modern climate and of human civilization came to be. Most of these warming periods can be attributed to a very slight change in the Earth's orbit, which in turn results in an increased amount of solar radiation experienced by the planet. This was pretty steady until about the mid-1800s, when something changed. Just over 200 years ago, the world has undergone profound economic and technological developments, altering the structure of business, politics and society, from agricultural innovations, mass production, fossil fuel usage and infrastructure, to transport, communication and global connectivity. The way people live and conduct business today is something a farmer in the 1800s could have never even imagined. Although the Industrial Revolution, which ultimately paved the way for industrialization, economic growth and countless global innovations, resulted in many benefits, including greater access to an increased range of goods and services, improved life expectancy, literacy rates and access to opportunities, the rapid development has come at a price. As individual wealth increases, the desire to purchase more goods and services also increases. Over the past 50 years, the world has experienced unprecedented growth and as a result, an unprecedented deterioration of the natural resources needed to fuel that growth. Think about a day in your life, all the places you go, various devices and vehicles you use, the resources the company you work for use. Hell, the nichrome wire that's the core mechanism that allows your toaster to toast. $20 at any discount store is made up of an alloy mined from two separate places likely on opposite sides of the world. And how many toasters have you thrown out in your lifetime? It doesn't take too much deep thinking to realise that this resource usage on a daily basis is just immense. Currently, humanity uses the equivalent of 1.7 planets to provide the resources necessary to produce goods and absorb waste. This means that it takes the Earth around one year and seven months to regenerate what is used in a year. Can you imagine? And not everything is regenerated in that short amount of time. And it's getting worse. 
During these last 200 years, human activities such as the burning of fossil fuels has increased concentrations of CO2 in the atmosphere by around 40%. If this goes unchecked, continuing emissions will warm up the planet between 2.6 and 4.8 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. This, of course, as most people know, would have serious implications for human society and our natural world. The more we overshoot what natural processes can remove in a given year, the faster the concentration of CO2 in our atmosphere. Okay, so it's pretty bad. Am I to blame? Are you? Or is it just the big corporations and governments and we're just powerless pawns in this dangerous and consequential game? I think overall we're all a little bit to blame, but corporations produce just about everything that we buy, use and throw away. And as such, they certainly play an outsized role in this issue. But it's not in a vacuum. Corporations only have the power they do because they are supported by us. What I mean is that I think sometimes we forget that us as citizens and consumers, we have a voice and a vote when we choose one product over another or choose a service over another. We are approving of how this product was made, where it came from, how it is uh, created, uh, what resources it uses, etc. We buy those products. We fuel the machine. But as depressing as that is, it also gives away a glimpse of a possible silver lining. It means that we aren't helpless. It means that we actually have some power here. And as technology develops further, that potential power is only getting stronger. And we'll get back to that. First things first, we can't know the damage being done by corporations or the fact that harm reduction that can be done or is being done without being able to measure it. As we said, human emissions of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases are the primary driver of climate change and uh, present one of the world's most pressing sustainability challenges. Now, we've all heard of greenhouse gas emissions and probably understand the basic gist of how they impact the planet. But when looking at the greenhouse gas emissions of corporations, it's important to break down and categorise those emissions further so we can get a clearer picture of what's going on and what activities are actually likely to make a difference. Businesses are capable of emitting three kinds of emissions. These are known as Scopes 1, 2 and 3. Scope 1 emissions are those that a business produces directly. These are fully within a business's control. It can be your office's space, uh, traveling of your employees, uh, the equipment you're using, those kind of things. So burning fossil fuel in a fleet of your trucks rather than investing in electric vehicles, for example. Scope 2 emissions are those that a business produces indirectly, such as the type of electricity required for their production, uh, waste management. The electricity used for charging those electric vehicles would fall into this category. And finally, uh, scope 3 emissions, which are also produced indirectly, but they're coming from a business's supply chain. Meaning those not produced by the company itself, but rather are tied up in the entire supply chain and into business relationships that allow your company to do what it needs to do. No prizes for guessing which of the three scopes is the hardest to tackle, and often the most significant.
For many companies, Scope 3 emissions represent approximately 70% of their total carbon footprint. The implication is that for a business to become net zero, most will have to target an emissions reduction in their supply chain. Dividing emissions into three groups is intended to help measure progress in making the huge reductions that are needed to limit uh, global temperature rises to well below 2 degrees Celsius, which was the central aim of the Paris Agreement in 2015. So if you've cut back on your use of the Opus printer, for example, well done. Seriously, the little decisions really make a difference. But consider the following. Digital technology accounts for 4% of total greenhouse gas emissions and is increasing by 9% each year. The communications industry, the backbone of digital advertising, will represent 20% of global emissions by 2025. The internet emits 1.6 billion tons of carbon each year. That's the same amount as every highway vehicle globally. In my world, the AdTech world, these Scope 3 emissions are inherently difficult to navigate and resolve. Our ecosystem is fragmented, the expanse of the supply chain feels infinite, the technology and platforms that have become our solution for navigating a fragmented ecosystem is a significant contributor to climate change. For years, we've been trying to optimize the supply path to balance efficiency and effectiveness, and I think now we need to consider also a third measure of success, which would be carbon emissions. In the digital media industry, the supply chain can be complicated. It isn't just media owners and their emissions, it's tech platforms, supply and demand side, verification partners, ad serving, device usage, and the list goes on. So how should the digital media industry approach this carbon problem? While every channel has a carbon footprint, the rapid growth of digital and a hyper-connected world has created unprecedented energy demands, uh, meaning that digital possesses significant challenge as an industry carbon hotspot. Media decarbonization means reducing the carbon intensity of media agencies' outputs, which means the media plans and placements where your ad is being placed. Media planning is coming to the forefront as companies look to minimize their carbon footprint across their supply chain. Understanding one's current emissions provides the foundational data required for both tackling the hotspots and measuring the progress. Okay, so once you've measured your carbon footprint, then what? So yes, you've measured your carbon footprint, so now what? For me, the focus should be first on where you can reduce your carbon emissions. There is a lot of talk about carbon offsetting, but for me, this is just a temporary answer, not really the solution. The reason I don't see it as a solution is that it is an investment in removing carbon from the atmosphere rather than reducing its production in the first place. For me, the primary focus should be on reducing the amount of carbon created before we need to offset. Think about it. The same ad can get delivered to the same publisher through fewer pipes, incurring both economic and carbon savings. Efficient campaign management and elimination of digital waste is the foundation for a low-carbon campaign. So here are some of the best practices that you can follow. Address impression wasted. Capping frequency, a standard practice for media campaigns that limits how often an ad appears. It not only offers a better audience experience, but it reduces waste. Reduce high carbon formats. A second best practice would be to reduce high carbon formats. I know it kind of sounds like an obvious statement, but anything that slows down the web experience has a heavy download weight. 
which equals a higher carbon footprint. Reduce data waste. Data is energy. And the more data we consume, the more emissions we produce. Supply chain optimization. Consider how digital advertising is bought, especially the programmatic landscape with auctions on top of auctions. Now the norm due to Heather bidding, more it creates additional unnecessary waste. And as awareness is raised across the board to these kinds of issues and solutions, and companies are waking up to the fact that the people who actually purchase and use their products and services, i.e. support their success, are increasingly more informed, we're actually beginning to see a shift. I'd like to leave you with some examples. Fiona Lloyd, a global client and president at Dentsu Media Agency Karat, said her company was focused on collaborating with media owners to identify carbon hotspots in the supply chain and actively decarbonize them, as well as working with clients to create benchmarks and cross-channel calculators. Dentsu also set targets to cut carbon emissions by 46% by 2030. Another example is coming from Lars Sara Labruni. She's the media lead at Nestle and said that the FMCG brand had set a net zero roadmap to achieve worldwide net zero by 2050. She highlighted a test that the international advertiser had done with Impact Plus, a French company, to compare a traditional digital video campaign for Nescafe with one that made hygienic and pragmatic changes to reduce carbon. This was particularly fascinating to me with my background, but these changes included using mono sound instead of stereo, effectively cutting the energy you use in audio playback in half implementing smarter video compression, broadcasting on Wi-Fi instead of 4G, and upweighting media activity on Monday, Friday, and weekends as they found broadcasting at those times had less carbon impact. The two campaigns had the same target and storytelling and the same budget. And while the performance and reach remained the same, the carbon footprint of the second campaign was 47% lower than the standard one. This has led Nestle to draw up a 10 golden rules to apply to video campaigns, content, and broadcast to reduce their carbon footprint. And our company, for example, we've partnered with carbon measurement organizations Sadara and Scope3. One is focused on measuring and improving our own emissions, and the other those of our partners and value chain. This is the first step in a new framework aimed at rethinking our entire operation and implementing models that will reduce all of our scope emissions significantly. Climate change is emerging as a major challenge for modern society. The digital media industry, as we've seen, is a big contributor. Government, business and wider society are already being affected and we all have a role to play in tackling it. I want to leave you with the following questions. Think of a Scope 3 emission in your personal or professional life and something small that you could change that would positively impact your emissions. What are the kinds of conversations you're having with people in your personal and professional life surrounding this topic? Where have you noticed some of these emission reduction efforts in companies that you interact with? Think about one or all of them and then, if you like, record them quickly, just on your voice memo or whatever app you have handy on your phone and email them to us. We're really interested to hear what you have to say and we'll even feature some of the responses in a future episode as a discussion point.
Send an email to me at podcast at the-digital-distillery.com or just get in touch through one of our channels if you'd like to send it some other way. That's it for today's episode of Green About Media. I look forward to hearing from you and you can catch us again in two weeks where we're diving into the topic of the digital carbon footprint as well as talking about carbon handprints. See, I didn't even know that was a thing. It's all so interesting. You know, the more that I think about it, I think...